all you spooky listeners. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Morbid Curiosity, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Nicole. I'll be taking you through some of the most heinous, shocking, and morbid crimes, including, of course, the paranormal. Listener discretion is advised. Don't forget to check me out on Instagram at morbid, period, curiosity, period, TC podcast, where you can find photos related to our cases, including crime scene photos on occasion, of course, with the exception of postmortem photos. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy. Hey everybody, I hope you had a great weekend. Weekend, nice to um, kind of kind of be back with you guys. You know, um, let me know if the two parts was you know to your liking uh, as far as breaking it up and allowing you guys time to like simmer on the first part or not. Let me know. Join our Facebook group. You literally type in the podcast name. I do interact with all the listeners on there. Instagram is where I post the um, photos related to the case, which I still got to do for this one just because it was so long. Um, Other than that, let's get into it. We're going to go in with the DNA testing. All right, guys. Just before we get into the DNA testing part, if you've not listened to part one, stop. Go back listen to part one you're missing the entire case (laughs) um if you have listened just a recap we ended with her autopsy report and we found out that sierra died of asphyxia due to mechanical obstruction of her mouth so there was a dog toy the size of her airway stuffed in her mouth and she suffocated so moving on we're going to get to the dna testing of evidence So, BCI agents um, tested a number of items uh, that they collected throughout their investigation. Also, they tested fingernail clippings from Sierra's left hand. Now, the BCI forensic scientist who testified at trial stated that Sierra, quote, was included as a major contributor and that James was excluded as a major contributor. The BCI analyst further testified that there was an additional data that included a male contributor that was not sufficient for comparison and blood stains on the exterior of James's motorcycle helmet yielded a DNA profile consistent with Sierra with an expected frequency of 1 in 1 trillion. The conclusion was significant because it means that over 1 trillion people would need to be testified to find the DNA profile. The helmet's unstained interior revealed a mixture of DNA profiles, and Sierra was included as the major contributor with an expected frequency of 1 in 1 trillion. James was included as the minor contributor with an expected frequency of 1 in 30 million. Bloodstained swabs from the checkered dish towel that was recovered from the adoption site yielded a DNA profile consistent with Sierra with an expected frequency of 1 in 1 trillion. DNA testing of the interior and thumb tip of the latex glove that was recovered near the site where Sierra was buried yielded a mixture of DNA profiles with James and Sierra being included with an expected frequency of 1 in 6,000. BCI also tested some of the items collected from James's North Barn 
including a swab of the blood stain from the pink underwear, which unfortunately yielded a DNA profile consistent with Sierra with an expected frequency of one in one trillion. Investigators also had a roll of um, had that a uh, roll of paper towels. Excuse me, I was about to say toilet paper, but it was roll of paper towels tested for her DNA. The paper towels also yielded a mixture of DNAs, um, with Sierra being included as a major contributor with an expected frequency of rarer than one in one trillion. The air mattress also contained mixture of DNA, with her included as the major contributor with an expected frequency of one in one trillion. The duct tape found in the green crate also contained DNA profiles with her and James both being included in the mixture with an expected frequency of 1 in 20 million. So overall, they had um, a lot of DNA evidence pertaining to Sierra in both the abduction site and the North Barn and on his motorcycle garbs. Like, it was there. She was there. He was there. There was no denying that they were both there. And things went south because there was DNA on everything, pretty much. Um, so other evidence included his phone and surveillance video, which we're about to get into. Um, this portion of the podcast is mostly going to be evidence related. So just hold on tight because there's no doubt in the case that he murdered Sierra. So, moving on with the evidence, we're going to talk about his cell phone and surveillance video. So, a video camera at Evergreen Elementary School actually recorded a motorcycle traveling north on County Road 6 at 7.19 p.m. July 19, 2016. A video camera from the high school captured the same motorcycle but heading south on the same road around 10 p.m. The same video showed a vehicle traveling north on County Road 6 nine minutes later. Testimony established that it takes approximately about four and a half minutes to drive the three and a half miles from the school to James's house. So it wasn't very far. Now, forensic cell phone evidence introduced at trial showed that Sierra's and James's cell phones were in the area of the abduction site between 7.42 and 7.45 on July 19th. Now, James made a call from that area at 7.43. The FBI cellular data analyst, Joseph Jensen, testified the evidence showed that between 8.01 and 8.05, there are arcs from both cell phones in the same general area. Now, Joseph or Jensen, Mr. Jensen, could not conclude that the two phones intersected at the same spot because the measurements were taken at different times. Now, Mr. Jensen also determined that at 9.13 on July 19th, James's phone was in the area of the abduction site. So, coincidence? I think not, okay? Um, as far as his computer goes, this is where it gets a little crazy, so just a trigger warning. There is some interesting porn searches, and by interesting I mean uh, pretty sadistic. So hold on, hold on to your butts on this one, okay? Computer searches, okay? 
Detective Dave Morford, okay, from the Computer Crimes Unit at the Toledo Police Department, testified that a forensic analyst of James's computer revealed that he visited a website called xvideos.com, which showed pornographic videos. You know, okay, that part, normal. What men, what person doesn't look at porn, right? But it's what you look for that counts, okay? Because in 2015 and 2016, James searched for videos using keywords such as hogtied 16, bound, beaten down teens, forced teens, stranded and forced, and rough pickups. In one of the videos that James watched, the female participant was strangled with a tennis net. On July 18th and 19th, 2016, he accessed the website called AliExpress.com and he searched for camisole tanks, G-string thongs, wholesale women's bralette tops, underwear, women's lace strap, backless rack, chest sleepwear, crop tank tops, and other lingerie. Now, James's final records, evidence, um, pretty much his bank statements, I'm sorry, excuse me, James's financial records, had a, I had a moment. Um, his bank statements showed that his personal checking account was used to purchase items from AliExpress in January and February of 2016. Now, in addition, a checking account in the name of his mother, which was list, which listed James as having a power of attorney regarding his mother, was used to purchase the items from AliExpress in June 2015 and March 2016 and from Wicked Temptations in May 2015. Now, to round out our evidence, okay, other evidence taken from James. So, after he was taken into custody, investigators photographed various scratches and bruises on his arms, shoulders, neck, and a cut on his finger. His keychain contained a unique key that looked like the key to the handcuffs that were found attached to Sierra's wrists. Other evidence that were taken, you know, just items from the barn and stuff that we talked about earlier. But as far as, um, you know, stuff that was produced into court, um, this kind of ends the evidence realm. So, moving on, we're going to go into the testimony, not only from the autopsy, but detectives, etc. So, let's get into that. Okay, so as far as court testimony goes, we've already discussed that the autopsy doctor, Dr. Beezer, had pretty much said um, she suffocated to death, essentially, right? Um, this is how she kind of described this, okay? So, um, she said that there were bindings on the victim's body and contusions present on her left leg. She also described a laceration on Sierra's forehead, a broken upper left incisor in her mouth, and a hairline fracture inside the back of her skull. Um, Dr. Beezer said a foreign yellow object had been placed in Sierra's mouth attached to a binding around the back of her neck. Kind of like a makeshift ball gag, if we don't remember that from earlier. Um, 
She concluded the object asphyxiated Sierra and that the process could have taken up to 10 minutes. She said inserting the object into her mouth could have broken her tooth if they forced it in, right? Now, when questioned by Fulton County Prosecutor Scott Hazelman, Dr. Beezer acknowledged, you know, that the hairline fracture in Sierra's skull possibly could have been caused by the motorcycle helmet, okay? No way of really knowing what caused it. She described Sierra as 5'4", weighing 122 at the time of her death. Now, under cross-examination by Mark Furling, the lead attorney for, you know, uh, James, Dr. Beezer said that there was no way to know whether Sierra was conscious during her asphyxiation. She said no foreign objects were found in her lungs or nasal cavities during the autopsy. Dr. Beezer also said that Sierra's body showed no signs of torture and that the possibilities are also infinite. You know, the possibilities are almost infinite. Regarding what could have been, you know, what could have been going on that have caused the laceration on her face and the blunt force trauma wound on the back of her head. So, unfortunately, we don't really know. But you gotta remember, he also had that makeshift sex dungeon at his barn. So... At least there's no evidence of him doing anything sexual to her. I mean, I know, unfortunately, she still passed away due to this. But at least for the family sitting here in court, they don't have to hear of any rape or torture. Um, just the untimely death and how, you know. So, anywho, um, as far as police testimony goes... Now, Smith Meyer said as part of the investigation, he visited the same pornographic websites and watched the same videos as James. He said various videos portrayed women gagged and bound or hogtied, some with ball gags in their mouths, some not. Smith Meyer said some of the videos portrayed women being raped or strangled. That was like James's thing that he watched on porn. So, it wasn't just, you know, good old BDSM. It was like almost kind of like smut or you know like those um what is it called I read it in another case it's kind of almost like death videos but they're not really you know what i mean um yeah it's like rape kill fantasies that they make online yeah so it, it's far it's far out there um but luckily you know james was arrested and charged with aggravated murder with an escaping detection Specification, sorry, that's a mouthful. Uh, kidnapping, felonious assault, possessing criminal tools, tampering with evidence, and having weapons while under disability. Because he had those guns, remember? He pleaded not guilty to all of the charges, and of course he would. So, as far as prosecution testimony... During his case, the prosecution would advise that there would be no doubt and that the jury should simply follow the evidence trail, which is 100% true. Um, like his browser history where he searched hogtied plus teen or how the same day Sierra went missing he, and he spent time searching up porn sites, how he also searched up rape, forced, hitchhiker, stranded, helpless, and gagged, among other things. Per the prosecution, after searching porn for quite some time, he happened to see Sierra when he was riding his motorcycle and he followed her, managed to run her off the road into the cornfield, 
and that he chased her, hit her over the head with his helmet. DNA was also found and confirmed to be Sierra's on his helmet. Just, just, you know, remember that, okay? The court was told um, it may have knocked her unconscious, not really sure. He then waited in the cornfield with her for two hours, which his cell phone location would confirm, and plus he stayed there while it got dark. He then would leave the scene, go get his van, which he returned with, took her back to his makeshift dungeon in his barn, which also confirmed by DNA that she was there because the blood on the panties, the blood on the mattress, like, she was there. Of course, the prosecution could not, you know, then tell the court what happened to Sierra because nobody knows what happened in the makeshift dungeon with any degree of certainty besides James and Sierra. But they do know that he hogtied and gagged her inside the barn and that the gag caused her death. After he tied and gagged her, that's when he drove her back, buried her in a shallow grave amongst the corn in a different location from the first time when he kidnapped her. Um, you know, also in my research, I've seen that it was possible for her to have been held for three days in the makeshift dungeon before she suffocated. But that was just kind of eh, a theory really so don't take that to heart so of course after the court heard everything and them knowing that the forensic science findings linked him to her demise such as the dna on the helmet the tape the mattress zip ties panties duct tape etc etc um including the ski mask right all found on his property there they had no doubt that he murdered sierra not to mention, they also heard about all the ladies' underwear he had stashed away, one with blood on them, which DNA'd to Sierra. Um, the journals, the maps, the porn searches, the camera, the surveillance, etc. Like, it was just a mound of evidence against this man. They also learned he told police all of the stuff that they found was for potential porn. He was going to start making porn. He was going to be a porn producer, and he was going to have that stuff for the women that were volunteering to be a porn actress. And, you know, <laughs> when they asked who would actually do that with him, he told police, well, you know, I may have went on Craigslist or Backpage trying to find some ladies to participate. Whether that was investigated, I can never find out, but he totally told police that, which, you know, it's a freaking lie, in my opinion. Um, now, the defense team testimony, like what they were saying in his defense, this one had me weak, okay? Now, of course, <laughs> with the prosecution's strong case against James, including the mound of evidence, his defense team had no problem having a case of their own, because you know that's what they're good for. They said he had no idea who Sierra was, and he didn't see her on July 19th. Um, all evidence against him was weak, hearsay, whatever. They admitted the items in the cornfield were his items, but they were there because he had a breakdown on his motorcycle. His motorcycle broke down, and he accidentally left some stuff. His defense also brought up a witness report of a man who saw another man in a cornfield wearing red shorts. And by golly, James did not have red shorts on. He, you know, that man was never found. He was not wearing red shorts. No red shorts were found during the investigation, etc., etc. By golly, James is innocent, right? Okay. Now, referring to, this is the report that they had with the guy with the red shorts. 
Around 7.20, a motorist named Mary Stein was driving south on County Road 6 when she noticed a bike lane beside the west side of the road in an open area before the rows of corn began. As Mary passed by, she saw a man bent over at the waist, about two to three rows deep into the cornfield. She later said that the policeman was a Caucasian, he was wearing red shorts, and possibly a white t-shirt. In relation to his makeshift dungeon that police found, you know, the defense told the jury that there was an innocent explanation for it. The jury heard it wasn't in fact a dungeon, but a hidden room with restraints on the walls and that those restraints were there as James planned to turn it into a porn studio. As he said to police, oh, I'm looking for women, blah, 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 right? Okay. <laughs> he was starting a new business, and that's why he had searched for all those porn categories on his computer. Now, of course, they not only heard all of that, but they also heard testimony from Lawrence Christ, which he knew James he lived on the same road. They visited each other. He went to visit him once to two times a month. While over there, you know, they often watched porn together when James's mom went to bed. And the defense team even asked him, hey, did James mention porn? He admitted that they watched it together and also said that James showed him the panties and that his idea was that he wanted to do a casting couch type porn studio with all of the stuff that he had. So, not only that, to, you know, confirm, oh, see, it was just a business idea. He didn't mean anything by it besides making a porno. The defense also played the tapes where James said the same thing to police. It's planned for amateur porn shoots. The panties are. Like, they're not in correlation to a crime. What are you talking about, right? In relation to Sierra's injuries, which was the cut on her forehead, or the front of her head, and the fracture on the back of her skull, they even went as far to ask Dr. Beezer if the helmet was the only object that can make those injuries. She confirmed, you know, no, something else could have made those injuries, because that's the truth, right? They, of course, you know, said that it could not be confirmed if James's helmet was the weapon used to cause the injuries, and that was their whole little spiel, right? You can't say he caused the injuries. You can't say that this was for sure for a rape or a um, non-consensual porn shoot. That was their thing that they were going with. As far as sentencing goes, on April 4th, 2017, after both sides said their cases, the jury took only six hours to deliberate the findings and they came back with a guilty verdict. Thank God for James. Now, he would face life in prison without the possibility of parole or the death sentence. Um, at his sentencing, he did speak for a whole 45 minutes. Told the court, I did not kill Sierra. I'm framed, etc., etc. He also spoke to Sierra's family and referred to her as a beautiful girl and stated that her loss is a substantial blow to everyone, which is freaking disgusting. Okay. I hate when they do that. Now, James's defense team asked for the sentence to be life in prison and not the death penalty due, you know, in part to his sexual sadism connection with fetish disorder. Like, why would that save you from the death penalty, dude? <laughs> Just saying. 
The judge said, yeah, no, and sentenced him to death, told the defense that if he thought there was any possibility that James was innocent, he would have sentenced him to life instead. On July 1st, 2021, the Ohio Supreme Court affirmed his convictions and sentence on direct appeal, and his execution is actually set for May 20th, 2025. So, he should be on his way to, um, you know, whatever. I think it's um, lethal injection. I could be wrong. Couldn't find exactly how they were going to, you know, put him down, essentially. Um, I don't feel sorry for him at all. So, it is what it is. You kill the young woman. I feel like executions, after the evidence is confirmed, everything points to that person and you're 100% sure, they should be set for the next day. I feel like it's a waste of air and waste of food to keep them in freaking prison until years later like that. Anywho, we know for 100% fact that he killed her, so that's the only reason why I'm comfortable saying that. Now, on other occasions when, you know, the water is muddy, that doesn't really apply there. But in these kind of cases where they don't even have to think twice about it, they should just put them down the next day. Now, he had 19 felony counts. We're going to go over that here. His felony counts include two counts of aggravated murder, two counts of abduction, counts one and two, four counts of kidnapping, counts three through six, two counts of felonious assault, counts seven and eight, two counts of murder, counts nine and ten, two counts of aggravated robbery, counts 13 and 14, one count of possessing criminal tools, count 15, one count of gross abuse of a corpse, count 16, one count of tampering with evidence, count 17, and two counts of having a weapon while under a disability, which counts as 18 and 19. Just the FYI, the state dismissed counts 13 and 14 before the case was submitted to the jury but they returned guilty on everything else. So that was the aggravated robbery. They threw that out. Everything else stuck. Um, his execution, like I said, May 20th, 2025. But of course he, you know, just couldn't stop being an ass. He did decide he didn't want to be executed. Um, I don't deserve this. I did nothing wrong, blah, 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 as he said, right? And he had an appeal put in in September, 2021, which the judge was like, heck no. Because uh, they already denied a previous appeal. So they, no, they're not letting him get away with that. But he appealed this time because his disagreement that jury selection in Fulton County and the trial itself was tainted by revelations of similar attack of women by him in 1990. Because if you remember correctly, he had previous charges, right? Of attacking a woman. And they were like, oh, well, they already knew about that. So they're using that against me. To, to get justice for back then. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, let's get into some of the things that, through Sierra's untimely death, helped other people. Okay? Now, Sierra's funeral was held July 28, 2016 at Christ the World of Church in Slovenia, Ohio. Um, and her remains were you know, 
interred in Amboy Township Cemetery near Metamore, Ohio. So she was buried. Um, the things that have come out of Sierra's death. Sierra's law. Out of her tragic death, they did make a law after her, and it was passed in Ohio, which created a database for violent offenders. It went into effect on March 20th, 2019. Primarily, law enforcement uses this database, but everyday residents can also learn um, the residents of felons convicted of violent crimes at their local county sheriff's office. So if you go, you could be like, in my area, can you give me an idea of violent offenders? And they'll tell you, that kind of thing. Kind of almost like what you have for sex offenders. If you guys ever looked at some of the apps for the sex offenders, um, you can download or go online and type in sex offenders near me and it literally gives you the addresses and everything of all of those people. Now, her boyfriend, Josh, um, he made a nonprofit organization called Keeping Our Girls Safe. And this is such a noble cause and one that is much needed in today's world, I feel. The group helps raise money um, so as it's to be able to provide the women in the community approximately like ages 16 plus based on their website um, with free self-defense classes. Like how awesome is that? Uh, KOGS has also worked with many schools in the area. So not only is this man keeping like her memory alive, which I find that very amazing, but he's also trying to help other women not to be a statistic, okay? He's like offering free defense classes and more than 200 people had signed up for his class by 2018. He said, quote, this is for her. I do it for her and I just want to make sure it doesn't happen to anyone else and if they see me this puts a face to it and show that this actually can happen to someone." End quote. The group has a website if you wish to further check out the good work they have been doing, which I suggested. Their instructors, uh, excuse me, their instructors are two highly trained law enforcement officers from local police departments. So not only is it you know free and it shows you how to defend yourself in certain situations but you get this instruction from officers which if you don't know i'm an ex-detention officer so you get really specialized training in defense and it's awesome so i think anyone that's available to do so or in that area you should totally do it Also, following the arrest of James, community residents organized a Take Back the Roads Memorial Walk, and it was along the road where her bicycle was found, and it was to honor Sierra. Um, another thing, right before the bill got passed for the Violent Offender Registry, um, October 2nd, 2016, Evergreen School District hosted a Joggin' for Joggin' 5K run to raise money for Sierra's Memorial Scholarship Fund, and to ask support for the bill that they wanted to pass, which we're all good because it was passed. Now, event officials expected to attract around 300 people, but were forced to limit the number to 1,600 when a large crowd of supporters and participants arrived. Like, how crazy is that? We're expecting 300, but it was over 1,600. It's insane. Now, Sierra's Memorial Scholarship Fund um, benefits graduates from Evergreen High School, where she graduated from, who have participated in a varsity sport and organization. 
In September 2019, the high school dedicated a plaque and planted two trees on the property honoring Sierra. Now, um, also, which I thought this part was funny, okay? And I say I say funny in like, not, you know, let, let me rephrase because I know there's a certain person that was like, you're so disrespectful to the deceased in your case. That's not what I'm finding funny. What I think is funny is this, okay? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you. In July 2018, Jerley, uh, excuse me, James's Delta, Ohio property was actually awarded to Sierra's family, okay? They had that main barn demolished, like his pride and joy, fucking demolished. Done, period, right? A monetary settlement of $3.6 was also reached, but Sierra's family agreed not to execute on the judgment unless, quote, the defendant receives a windfall sum of money, such as winning the lottery or receiving book, movie rights, or royalties. Now, in August 2020, the Fulton County Sheriff's Department searched his property again, using excavation equipment with assistance from the FBI. A statement by the sheriff read that the investigation into James was ongoing, that any evidence found would be collected with assistance from the FBI evidence response team and gave no further comments. Sierra's family stated that the search was not related to her case. So they think, this is just a theory, they think this man done other crimes. At, you know, at his level of, of what he did, probably. Whether it's ever been linked to him, I looked it up, can't find anything just yet. That doesn't mean there is anything. Later, his entire property was demolished. That's what I think is funny. Fuck him. That's what I think is funny. And if you take that wrong, that's on you. Um, one more thing. Charitable organizations. A nonprofit charitable organization, Justice for Sierra, was established after the trial by Sierra's mother and her aunt, which provides self-defense training courses for schools, communities, and educates the public on community safety topics and Sierra's law. The organization holds an annual Spirit of Sierra 5K race in Slovenia, Ohio. So, if you're in the area, if you want to support the cause, you're more than welcome to do so. Now, um, just kind of an FYI, uh, Buried in the Backyard Season 2, Episode 10, is an episode all about her case. And her family actually does testimony. I think the boyfriend does testimony, etc., etc. You can also find court trial um, video on YouTube, interviews on YouTube. You just got to look it up. Like, you'll find everything and anything that you want to know about. Um, yeah, so I think that's pretty cool. And if you guys do want to support the cause, please go to justiceforsierra.org. And her first name is spelled S-I-E-R-A-H, okay? Justiceforsierra.org. If you feel like learning about the spirit of Sierra Run, her law, her mission, the passion, the impact, just everything and anything, go visit the website. It's an amazing website. You can donate, you can support, you can look at events, etc. It's a really great website, okay? And that's all I got for you guys on part two. Um, make sure to send in suggestions to morbidcuriositytcpodcast at gmail.com if you have any 
whether it be spooky ghost stories that you've experienced uh, or friends or family have experienced, you want a crime case covered, I got you. Just send it in. Also, Instagram. I've noticed a lot of people are not really about the Instagram. I don't know whether to keep it going or not. Do you guys prefer Instagram versus Facebook? Or is there another website that you guys, I don't know about, you know what I mean? Or should we do TikToks? Like, let me know, send in suggestions, whether it be email, join the Facebook, let me know, send me a message on Facebook, just anything. Um, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed your week, your weekend, and I will see you next time. Well, guys, that's all for today's episode. Make sure you tune in bi-weekly. We are every other Monday for another riveting case where I will traumatize you more than you probably already are. <laughs> so thank you for listening. Uh, don't forget to check out the Instagram at morbid period curiosity period TC podcast for photos related to each case that I cover. Feel free to send me spooky, crazy stories or case suggestions at morbidcuriositytcpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate the podcast on Spotify and Apple Pod or whatever you're listening to us on. Um, I do appreciate all you spooky listeners. Please stay kind, stay spooky, and for the love of God, don't murder anyone. <laughs>